Welcome to this week's episode of Quiddity on the Circe Podcast Network, where we engage in the classical spirit of inquiry. I'm your guide, Brandon LeBlanc. As we approach the end of Lent in preparation for the Paschal season, I thought it'd be wise to revisit a conversation between Brian Phillips and David Kern about what Lent can teach teachers. It was a blessing to me at the time, and I've enjoyed listening to it again this year. I hope you'll all enjoy it as much as I have. How are you, sir? Oh, doing very well. We've got a lot more room in here today. (laughs) We are um, in the midst of what here in North Carolina passes for a winter uh, winter storm. Well, I guess we're Mm -hmm. not in the midst of it. We're not really sure where we are. We had some ice. That's the tricky part. And everything got shut down. Yeah, we are, well, I guess if we're in the midst of anything, it's probably a bread and milk shortage. <laughs> um, yeah. Around here, people absolutely panic uh, whenever we get the least bit of snow or sleet or whatever. So. To be fair, you know, all the northerners do need to remember, and I, and I am a northerner transplanted, <laughs> but um, they need to remember that we only have, like, one snowplow in this whole region, so mm-hmm. everybody just has to borrow it. So it's right. really not a wise thing to drive around. Plus, no one knows how to drive in it. Right. Yeah, our our roads aren't built for it. We don't really have the... the that's one thing I've noticed going up north and in the Midwest. The roads are built more for driving in ice and snow. Well, maybe not ice, but we don't have shoulders here yeah. on the road. So. Well, also, the, because of all the driving and the snow and everything, the roads there are pretty bad. Well, That's, that's why true. there are two seasons, snow and construction. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Well, we, we normally just have heat here, but, um, yeah, to, this is our, our annual snow, it seems. Yeah, we have region. at least half an inch for 137 consecutive years, so why stop now, right? Right. Well, it is uh, mid-February, or I guess, we're, I guess February being a short month, we're past the midpoint, but um, that means that it is the season of, of Lent, and um, most of our listeners, I suppose, are probably beginning Lent today. Today is Ash Wednesday, mm-hmm. um, Ash Wednesday 2015. And so that means that um, vast majority of the listeners will be having started Lent today. If, if certain listeners might be, have, right. might already be, right. might have already started uh, last Sunday, depending on what your uh, church and your tradition is. Um, but you have been working on a blog post, um, which I think the first part of, the first part of which is now live on our website. Right. Um, about what teachers and parents can learn from this season, what it can mean for our classrooms and the way we teach and the, and the way we learn as well, um, and and uh, kind of responding to uh, Alexander Schmemann's book, Great Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we wanted to talk about that briefly um, as kind of a reflection on what this season means and, and what, what we as teachers and parents can and should learn from it. What made you want to write about this? It's funny because I asked you if you would write something about yeah. it, and then you were like, yeah, I'm already doing it. Yeah. So yeah. what made you, it's not like it was an assignment. Right. What made you want to do that? Um, uh, well, I started reading Alexander Schmemann's book, uh, Great Lent, uh, for just for my own benefit. Uh, I read For the Life of the World, um, which of course means that I just scratched the surface of it. Uh, yeah. The other, uh, another great work by uh, by Schmemann, and uh, in knowing that Lent was approaching, um, I began reading Great Lent, and 
found it to be very much like For the Life of the World. It's not one of those books that you really get through uh, in the sense of just finishing. It's, it's a book that, um, that you work through and a book that kind of works through you at the same time. So um, I, I found that it was leaving me so much to think about, um, not just Schmemann's book, but um, the, the season of Lent itself, it was giving me so much to think about that I wanted kind of an outlet for it. So I started, I started writing some thoughts um, based on what I was reading in Schmemann and began noticing that there's so much overlap with what he's saying. Well, maybe overlap's not the right word, but there's so much in what he says that is applicable not just to us as Christians overall, but to teachers specifically and, and to homeschooling parents and in the act of teaching that I, that I started making that connection already. So um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm necessarily responding to Schmemann's book. I'm more just trying to begin interacting with it. Reflecting um, on it. Yeah, reflecting on it. How um, You're a pastor mm-hmm. of a Reformed church, right? Right. Um, right. So... What have you been reflecting on as a pastor that you, on the things that you're going to talk to your congregation about, um, you know, before we get mm-hmm. into the specific things to teaching and parenting and things like that? Is there anything that there's one or two things maybe that you could, that maybe you're going to talk about tonight in an Ash Wednesday sermon? Mm-hmm. Well, have I, you written your Ash Wednesday sermon yet? Yeah, <laughs> I have. I have. Um, and fortunately for them, you're it's not just going to wing it. It's more a homily. Um, okay. So, um, which is good, given that the blizzard is is here. Yeah. Um, but I think we have seven flakes have fallen now. Yeah, so. it's been at least seven. Yeah, uh, I I think that pastorally, uh, Lent is it. It's important for us because it it helps us focus back on the things that we so easily lose track of. Um, Lent is a season of fasting, and prayer, and repentance all of which are things that are very difficult for us to keep in mind. Um, I don't like denying myself of anything that I want, you know, um, (laughs) but that's what fasting is. That's what repentance is. Um, I don't like for my prayers to have to be focused so much on, um, on my sins and my need to turn back to Christ. Um, you know, repentance is painful. Um, those kinds of prayers of contrition are painful. Mourning is is not pleasant. Um, but I think Lent is important because it helps us put context to our repentance. Um, we, at least in in the West, you know, when we uh, practice Ash Wednesday, um, and the ashes are are put on our forehead, we are given that visible sign of mourning and repentance. Um, but it's in the sign of the cross. So it's a repentance with hope. It's what, as Schmemann says, and what I'm, what I'm learning more about, what the Orthodox would call this bright sadness. It is mourning, it is repentance, it is contrition, but it's all with hope. And so the season points us to Christ, and, and those are all things that we can lose track of. Um, the need to really wrestle with, with who we are and our need for Christ. Um, it's not just a season to deny ourselves and then kind of pat ourselves on the back for it, you know, as if, as if somehow we're 
um, through our fasting, earning credit or something like that. Uh, it, it, you know, our focal point doesn't need to be what we're giving up. Our focal point, again, is is back to the cross and back to the resurrection. It's it's taking us back to Christ. Um, okay, let's talk then. We only have a limited amount of time, and obviously Lent is a is a is a big conversation. We can talk mm-hmm. about. We can define what we mean by by it. You know, um, we can discuss the church calendar. We can talk right. about the kind of things that people fast from and why, and from all different kinds of perspectives. Whether it's the the more strict fasting of the Orthodox Church or mm-hmm. the way the Catholic Church does it, or um, the in, sometimes in certain evangelical right. churches you have individuals each doing it their, in right. their own way right. so there's so much we could talk about but let's try to focus in for a little bit anyway on what it's what you think the season of Lent can teach teachers and parents because okay. we'll put those together I mean you got the homeschoolers yeah. and then the brick and mortar school absolutely teachers. Yeah. what is uh, a couple of things um, that in reading the Shemaman book and in reflecting on Lent yourself both mm what it means going to mean for you personally and then what it's going to mean for your congregation. What are some things that, you, that we can learn from as teachers and parents? Right. I th- well, I think that what Lent does, what fasting does, and since Lent is a season of fasting, we'll just refer to it in that respect. So what Lent does is I, I think it brings to light uh, weaknesses that we can usually um, ignore. When we when we begin denying ourselves something that we want, food, you know, and again, you you talked about the different the different traditions, mm-hmm. um, the different streams of Christianity, um, but all of it does have that in common. That whenever you deny yourself, when you are fasting, your weaknesses come to the surface, uh, and you'll find yourself tempted and pulled towards things that you wouldn't normally have to give much thought to, you know, um, when you're hungry, when you're weak, when, um, uh, when you're, again, when you're trying to intentionally deny yourself, then all kinds of things come, come to the surface. You're tempted in, in very serious ways. Yes. Like everyone says, I, you know, I never wanted a Coke until I consciously decided right. not to drink soda anymore. And then all I could think about was drinking a Coke. Absolutely. Every meal. Absolutely. And, um, in the South, the same is true with Chick-fil-A. Um, everyone wants it on Sunday, you know, yeah, and, oh, yeah, they're, and they're closed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I think it, it does reveal our weakness, and, and, and we don't like that either. Um, but one of the things that I really love about Schmemann's book and that I decided to, to interact with on, in these blog posts is uh, something that was, that was new to me. And that is, he talks about the Orthodox tradition of, of the, or the Orthodox practice of the, the pre-Lenten preparation, how they have five Sundays leading up to the actual season of Lent to help prepare the people to, to go through the season, in, including kind of uh, stepping gradually into the full fast, um, which I thought was very interesting because... I've I've noticed, and I've tried to implement some of that in my own life. I've noticed that whenever I go from nor, just my normal routine to enter a season of fasting, that uh, I I feel really out of sorts, and um, 
the illustration I've used with my congregation is, you know, imagine going down the highway in your car about 65 miles an hour, and then suddenly you just throw it into second gear. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, you feel like that transmission would feel right then. Um, yeah, it's the same idea as stopping smoking or something cold turkey. Right, the idea of right. giving up anything. Yeah, it's very, very difficult because we're not in a habit of denying ourselves. So um, those that season of preparation, those five Sundays, I found just fascinating uh, and very helpful. Um, we didn't do that in our church, but as far as what that what that season would do to help uh, and the lessons that it stresses that you need going into a season of fasting and repentance is is so important. So that's actually what I started writing about was how the lessons of that pre-Lenten preparation are things that we really have to take with us as Christians in general, life in general, but particularly as teachers or homeschooling parents, those lessons are of great, great value. Um, do you want me to walk through yeah, those? Go, okay. Yeah. Give us, give us, give us one to start with. Okay. Um, and he ties them to parables, right? He, he does bring that bring that out, and I, I think that that's always the case, that each Sunday is tied to the gospel reading or the gospel lesson of that Sunday. Mm-hmm. So they hear the passage read, um, and then the emphasis of, of that Sunday is drawn from that gospel reading. Um, I don't think that that practice is unusual, but it's, it's particular when it comes to Lent. Um, but the first Sunday... Um, of pre-Lenten preparation um, is tied to the story of Zacchaeus from Luke 19. The wee little man. Yes, the wee little man was he. Um, I actually put that in the blog. I couldn't help it. Every time I hear Zacchaeus, I think of the little Bible song. Um, And the story of Zacchaeus is really one of desire. Um, You have this short little guy trying to see Jesus and he has these natural limitations. He's short. He can't see above the crowds and people are amassed all around Jesus. So he runs ahead and he climbs up in this tree, the sycamore tree, so that he can see Jesus. Um, and then, of course, when Christ comes by, knowing that where Zacchaeus is and knowing his desires, he calls to him and says, I'm going to your house. Um, and the point that Schmemann makes is that that gospel story is tied to uh, our need for having the right desire. Like like Zacchaeus had this desire to see Christ more than anything else, that has to be our desire. Um, And and so that's the first Sunday, and there's so much in that. And so then that sets the tone for the rest of the preparation for the Lenten season. Right. Um, I think that we don't often realize what our desires actually are. Um, and we don't often realize when our desires have gone off track. Um, and for teachers and homeschooling parents, so our, our desires really drive the way that we teach. If you're in a conventional school or in a, in a classroom, I should say, um, the desires of the teacher drive the feel of that classroom. It drives the feel of our teaching, the culture of our classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're a homeschooling parent, then... And to a certain extent, I guess, the desires of the school, it's the requirements yeah, of the yeah, school itself. absolutely. And the same with homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, what your desires are are going to affect your choices and your words and the way that you teach. And um, 
even your scheduling and the books you choose and all of that. Is it too much to say that that synonymous with desires is priorities? So the kind of things we prioritize? Or is that putting too fine a point on it? I don't know. Um, it, seem, it makes sense to me, I think. Um, well, I guess then on the other hand, you can prioritize things right. that you don't desire, but you know you need, for example. Yeah. And I, I think that I thought about this in, in the sense of whether our desires are actually pointing our students or our children to Christ. Um, as a teacher, you can be driven by all sorts of things, whether you want to call them priorities or desires. You can be driven by by lots of things that seem really good on the surface. Uh, and, and I think all of us, whether homeschooling or a, a school teacher, um, all of us know the pull of desires that really should not be, well, to use both words, desires that should not be the priority. Right. You know, things that may not be bad in and of themselves, but should not be driving. Um, schools can really fall into this with test scores and college admissions and, and things like that. I, and I guess homeschool parents could too. Because um, those are things that are inherently valuable. Yeah. But it's just a matter of what if we desire that more than right. things what, that are greater. What place are they being given? Right. Um, so then Lent, and in particular the pre-Lenten season, is a time to reconsider what our desires are, mm-hmm. what we're prioritizing, to to reflect on that, and then to repent of the ones of our, when we realize that that we have prioritized poorly or yeah. we desire the wrong things. Yeah, and, that and turning from that, right. that turning, like if you prioritize something, you're pointing towards something. So you, right through your reflection, you then are able to repent and turn away from that towards something else. Prioritize yourself towards something else. Yeah, and and I think that. One thing that Schmemann does throughout this whole section of the book that I think is extremely important. This section being the pre-Lenten section? Right. Yeah, thank you. Um, It's important. He stresses that that Lent and repentance itself, uh, confession of sin, is not just about this acknowledging uh, judicially, if you will, that we've done these things that I've had these priorities that were wrong. I've had these desires that were wrong. I've done this and this and this. I've committed committed this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, In other words, it's not like standing in a court of law and pleading guilty. Um, He makes the point that genuine repentance is really about realizing that we have lost something, that Mm -hmm. we are in a a faraway land. Um, uh, And if I can, let me read just a couple of quotes here. And I, I know we don't have a ton of time, but... Um, this is, I think, really well, if we important. We can't make time for the quotes that our priorities are on. Right? Well, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> especially when it's when it's um, He says the Lenten season begins then by a quest, a prayer for humility, and this is actually the second week. I'm jumping ahead, but okay. this this quote is worth repeating even when we get there. Um, the Lenten season begins then by a quest, a prayer for humility, which is the beginning of true repentance. For repentance, above everything else, is a return to the genuine order of things the restoration of the right vision. And I think that that ties in with what I'm trying to describe with having the right desires, is that that our vision gets fuzzy, that we get too easily distracted by things that may be good but are not the best. 
they may be important, but they're not the most important. Um, so and you, what's the phrase again? Turning towards the right order of things. A return to the genuine order. The genuine of things. order. Of things. Yeah, that's the rest an interesting are, word choice there. It is. It is. Um, in other words, things as they really are yeah. and really should be, yeah. not just what we think they are. Like a natural order, almost. Yeah. Uh, and I, that's a very important distinction too. Uh, G.K. Chesterton once said, and I'm I'm going to say that this is a paraphrase because I don't know if it's word for word, but I think it's pretty close. He said, "I I don't need a church to tell me I'm wrong where I know I'm wrong. Yeah. I need the church to tell me I'm wrong where I think I'm right. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's one thing that Lent does for us. It mm. exposes what our desires really are, where our hungers really are." Um, and that's the most, that's one of the most uncomfortable things is that we really like to think that they're, that our desires are better <laughs> than yeah, they, they are. genuinely are to use Schmemann's words. Hmm. So, so there's Zacchaeus, uh, what's another example of, of him? What's an, or the, what parable does he use in another example? Uh, Your the first blog post is about the first two. It's about the first two. two right? Yes. Yeah. The second one is, um, from the story in Luke 18 of the publican and the Pharisee. We have both of them in the temple praying. There's the publican who, well, I'm sorry, the, the Pharisee is first. And he uh, is essentially saying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, um, an adulterer, an extortioner, and I'm not like this publican here, um, this tax collector here. And and then you have the the tax collector, the publican, who is just beating his chest. He won't even look to heaven. And he's just saying, and he's just praying the Jesus prayer, the Kyrie, uh, Lord, um, you know, have mercy on me, a sinner. And won't lift his eyes to heaven, which was the custom in prayer was that you would lift your eyes to heaven. So the, the publican not only is fully aware of his own sin, um, and, and doesn't see himself as worthy of being in the presence of God, but he doesn't even see himself as worthy to pray. He won't even lift his eyes. In other words, he's, which might be one of the things that the, that the Pharisee noticed about him was you're not doing it correctly. Um, but the, the publican wouldn't even lift his eyes. Um, and the emphasis of that Sunday, that second Sunday of preparation is humility. Um, and obviously the, the parable there is a very clear contrast between spiritual pride and false righteousness um, and, and genuine humility. Now, when applying this to teachers, though, that's something that I think most teachers would automatically assume they don't struggle with. And when it comes to teaching... Most of us would say, well, I'm actually more concerned that I don't know enough, that I'm not doing it correctly, that I'm not all that I ought to be. So I definitely don't struggle with humility. But, but pride is a very deceptive kind of sin. Hmm. And this is another thing that I think Schmemann gets us to really think about is that, um, pride is manifested in, in a couple of different ways, actually a bunch of different ways. But um, one way is like the Pharisee who's, you know, I, I thank you, God, that I'm not like this, this other man. Mm -hmm. um, and the Pharisee doesn't, he doesn't just see it as 
he doesn't just see himself as worthy to lift his eyes to heaven, but as worthy to shift his eyes to other people and mm-hmm. declare them guilty. Um, so his pride is really out there in the open. Um, we see that sometimes in our students, uh, and we can see that in other people. We can see that kind of pride when it's there. What we sometimes miss is that that open arrogance often, and especially in students, is often just masking insecurity. Hmm. Um, But there's another kind of pride that's far more subtle that I fear that some of us do fall into, and it's um, where we too frequently focus on the things that we're not good at, the things that we don't do well, Hmm. on our insecurities, and we bring them up but it's really a kind of false pride because we're just waiting for someone to reassure us. You know, we're, um, we're just sort of fishing for compliments, if you will. Um, and Schmemann, um, I think addresses both of those things. He, uh, in, in bringing out that when we define humility, we have to, and trying to figure out what humility really is, we have to remember that God himself is humble. Um, he says, In our human mentality, we tend to oppose glory and humility, the latter being for us the indication of a flaw or deficiency. For us, it is our ignorance or incompetence that makes or ought to make us feel humble. It's impossible to put across to the modern man, fed on publicity, self-affirmation, and endless self-praise, that all that which is genuinely perfect, beautiful, and good is at the same time naturally humble. For precisely because of its perfection, it does not need publicity, external glory, or showing off of any kind. God is humble because he is perfect. Um, And I thought that was just a very beautiful way of of describing that real humility is not about... um, Well, real humility is not about the presence of deficiency or folk or focusing on inadequacies. Um, in fact, true humility as found in God is found in perfection. Mm. Um, is that, and is that because, um, that kind of to, to focus on deficiency is to, by definition, focus on comparison. Like if I, because you can't know that you're deficient in something right. unless there's something to compare against. Right. And so you necessarily right. to say I am not as good at writing as you are. I mean, right. I mean, obviously that's a very not silly true thing to. No. <laughs> hey, thanks. That's a very um, silly thing to to talk about. But just that, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, it could be. It's. I think that it is comparison, but it's also just shielding us. Um, it's, a, it's kind of, to use, I guess this is a psychological term. It's just a defense mechanism um, where, for teachers and homeschool parents, we want to know that we're doing a good job. We want to feel assured of that. And that anxiety can lead us either to false pride, where we just sort of act as if we know everything, or it can lead to false humility, where we're just kind of creating opportunities for other people to tell us what a great job we're doing. Um, Schmemann's point is that um, humility is expected of everyone before God. 
And that humility isn't based on either our achievements or our lack of achievements. Um, and so I think that humility, humility and pride are both very tricky because we don't always recognize pride and we can't always, and we don't always adequately or accurately define humility either. Um, and that's where he says, and this is why I think that quote is interesting to tie back in here. Um, he makes two notes here that I, that I want to just mention. He says, he asked the question, how does one become humble? The answer for a Christian is simple by contemplating Christ, the divine, the divine humility incarnate, the one in whom God has revealed once and for all his glory as humility and his humility as glory. So we understand humility by looking to Christ, who um, was the fullness of the Godhead bodily and yet humbled himself even to the point of death. Um, and that I think is, it seems such obvious advice, such simple advice, you know, we should know that. Um, but when we think about our need for humility, we tend to think about something false. Um, and we don't think about contemplating Christ. And that's why he, that's when he says repentance above everything else is a return to the genuine order of things. So it's putting things right side up again. And the genuine Looking order of things of, yeah, of which Christ is head. Right. And so then Lent is less, I mean, it's about denying yourself things, but it's not denying yourself things so you can focus on your sins. It's denying yourself things. And so through repentance, right. you can refocus on Christ. Right. Hmm. It's a return to the genuine order of things. And as our sins are brought to light, which they will be, um, particularly in a season of fasting, um, it will show us, a good bit more who we are and it's not usually pretty yeah. um, but the point is then you take it to Christ okay so I'd like to talk about the, those other parables at a future time we okay. have a limited amount of time so maybe after, maybe after you've written those that blog post then maybe we can come back and record again about discuss those Okay. before we go here in these next few minutes can you give a couple of specific concrete ways that homeschooling parents and school teachers can um bring Lent into their classrooms and into their teaching? Are there practices? Are there um, ways that as a class, as a group, um, or as an individual teacher, um, Lent can be practiced? You know, obviously yeah. you can't just have, you can't require that your kids right. fast, your students <laughs> right. fast. Right. I mean, you can if you're home, if you're a parent. But you can't require that you're... I wouldn't necessarily advise it. But, yeah. yeah. Um, and... But that doesn't mean that you can't change the priorities yeah. or the way that your class functions. You know how? I guess the better question is, for a few weeks anyway, or this period of weeks, how can teachers and parents, homeschooling parents, focus what they're doing on the genuine yeah. order of things? Well, I think... In a very purposeful way that you might not always be able to do. And right. obviously you still have to work around the requirements right. of your context. right. Yeah, for, for teachers in a school context, this is tricky because you may have a lot of different traditions and backgrounds and, uh, you know, a lot of different families involved. So as far as specific allusions to Lent and fasting, um, you just have to know your context. You have to know where you are. Um, know but, your audience. Yeah, know, know your audience. Um, back to rhetoric all over again. Um, but I think that for school teachers... 
one thing to remember, I don't know how concrete this is, but one thing to remember is that your students will take on the personality of the teacher uh, in some way, shape, or form. And so uh, it is important for teachers to remember that as they're denying themselves and focusing on uh, Christ all over again, that they want, they want that to, to come back to their students. Um, I taught humanities, um, history and, and literature and rhetoric. And so I would, I would always take time to sort of explain, you know, as we're going into Lent, I would, I would just sort of read a little bit um, from one of the, the gospel lessons or something like that and, and explain uh, again, the this season of denying ourselves and so on, and and just sort of make it known that not not everyone practices Lent in the same way. Some some don't even really aren't even familiar with what it is. Um, but but the disciplines behind it and the meaning behind it are still just as important. Um, and then trying to model that in front of my students. So it's again reminding them of what. Lent is and what it's about and reminding them of Christ and then trying to, to teach and behave in a way in front of them more intentionally uh, that, that's going to point them to Christ. Um, as a homeschooling parent, though, there are a lot of things you can do. In fact, my wife and I have um, spent a few occasions talking to our kids about what Lent is. Um, of course, they hear it at church and, you know, um, we're more certain you know, and as a homeschooler, you're more certain about what um, what you're emphasizing in your family and in your church. So we would talk to them about what Lent is and the value of it, and talk to them about whether they would like to consider doing doing something for Lent, fasting from uh, from something for Lent. Um, and so our children, you know, we have a seven year old, a six year old, three year old, and a nine month old. Um, so the two oldest are. So uh, they're still learning what fasting is and what, um, what that means and why that's important for them and about denying self. So uh, I think in that context, I would say for homeschoolers, you, you definitely have an advantage in that of being able to read the scriptures, pray with your children about it, talk to them about the importance of Lent, even, um, uh, even being honest with your kids about some of your own struggles. Um, I don't know that there's any homeschooling parents out there that has not felt the need to confess or repent in front of their kids <laughs> for something that they've said or yeah. losing their temper or whatever. Well, that's true of, I think, yeah. classroom teachers as well. It definitely should be. Yeah, yeah. You deal with all those um, kids all the time. I mean, yeah. You're not going to... If you haven't kind of lost it in front of your students, then you just haven't been paying attention. <laughs> um or um, and if you if haven't you've felt never the done need, anything that yeah. you need to repent about before your classroom, right? You should repent of your. Obliviousness. You may have been sick for most of the year, right? Right. Repent of your sin of obliviousness. <laughs> um, but I think that really it could be a time. I, I guess really, if I'm giving just one practical bit of advice, is that you want your classroom culture to be a culture of repentance in the right sense. Um, Tolkien said that, that you could probably define education that way as being an act of continual repentance where we walk in the path of ignorance and we need to stop it. You know, so um, in that sense it is. But you want your classroom or your homeschool to be a place where everyone looks to Jesus 
everyone looks to Christ. And I think this is a good time of year using the scriptures, using prayer, and using just good conversations about the need for us to deny ourselves um, and to be honest about about who we are and where we are and our need for Jesus. I, I think it's a good time of year for that. Hmm. Well, I don't know how concrete that is, but well, it's a, maybe it'll give them some, at, some at people the, something to think about. At least it's a good start, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I would love to continue this discussion once you've read the other blog posts if we can. Okay. Um, for now, hopefully, as you said, this has given people... Um, something to think about as, as Lent begins. However, uh, you, our listeners, are living out Lent. We hope and pray that it is a season of contemplation and um, reflection and, and repentance. Thank you for joining us on Quiddity as we refreshed ourselves at Cisterns of Learning dug long ago, drawing from springs too deep for taint. You can send your comments and questions to podcast at circeinstitute.org. You can also join the Quiddity conversation on Circe Circle at circe.circle.so. Join us next week for another episode and be sure to check out the other shows on the Cersei Podcast Network.